Welcome to the award-winning Scuffed Podcast, where we talk about U.S. soccer. We are here to talk about the roster for the World Cup in November, and specifically who can play their way onto it. So we're talking about players who aren't who aren't locks, uh, or even necessarily have the inside track, who are in positions this fall to work their way in. We've got a juicy controversy simmering at the striker position. Let's get right into it, Greg. Bells, I'm ready to. I'm ready for uh, for actual regular season striker action. The chat boards are lighting up these days on Brandon Vasquez and uh, Jesus Ferreira, Ricardo Pepe, Jordan Pifak. I think there's still there's some Daryl Daryl DK partisans out there still. Maybe not very many of them, but um, I want to. I feel like this is what everybody's talking about right now, and it's and it's really one of very few positions up for grabs on the roster. How are you looking at How are you looking at the situation? Uh, I'm I'm looking at it as a lot of unfinished uh, assessments uh, that we need to make, and uh, pretty limited time to do it between <laughs> sixty days, the, the, the 180 uh, minutes left in the September camp, and then uh, and then we are at the World Cup. So. Ferreira is a, is a lock, right? I mean, we'll, we'll try to go through and say who all, all the locks are in a second, but I wanted to do the striker thing first. Ferreira's a lock. I, I think that's right. I don't think there's any way that he'll get played out. I don't think he's a lock to succeed by any stretch. Uh, it's one of these things where, um, you know, we've been, our running bit has been that we've been able to just put all of the striker pool in a hat and you can just pick any of them. I've, I've always been partial to Ferreira. I was an early Ferreira adopter just because of his aesthetic, mostly. Uh, I, I definitely had some concerns about him. He's assuaged some of those concerns, but not, not necessarily all of them. Um, so it's, it's entirely possible that we go in with Ferrer as our lock and 60 minutes into the Wales game, we're like, this is not working. And we're going to need to, you know, like make a change for the remainder of the tournament. I'll tell you what my scenario for it not looking like it's not working is, is going to be. And it's really simple. It's that he just keeps getting bodied off the ball. He's too small and won't be able to deal with center backs at that level. Is that one of your concerns, or what, what are your concerns? So it'd either be that, yeah, it'd be like a combination of that, or like his, his, while he's being even semi-bodied off the ball, he literally just can't bring the ball under his control. Yeah. Uh, because that's, that's his value, right? I mean, he, he presses well enough. I mean, he presses well, don't get me wrong. Um, but his, the real way he's adding here, if he's going to add uh, relative to the rest of the pool, is what we expect him to be able to do when the ball comes into him. And that is to be able to play with the tidiness of, of an attacking midfielder um, while a lot of very good attacking pieces are moving around him. And if he's not doing that, uh, and, and, you know, and, and it's bad, like if he's drowning, then that's it. He's probably going to be out, and he probably borderline falls off the chart for the rest of the tournament. For the rest of his life. <laughs> <laughs> so we just, we just need to be like prepared for that. Like yeah. There's no way we should be like, oh, well, this is... This piece uh, will definitely work for a 21-year-old who's never, uh, you know, had to try to do it at that level before. I noticed he had a little bit of a, a second striker role in the Dallas's game over the weekend. He and Franco Haro were both on the field at the same time. So I think those concerns are legitimate is basically what I'm saying. Yeah, and that's happened a lot of Dallas with uh, just because Ferrer plays 90 minutes, and I think they consider him, you know, probably their best attacking midfielder as well. So. Uh, when when Hara comes on, Ferrer doesn't come off because they want him still on the field, so he just drops a little bit. Hara leads the line, and he Ferrer has even more freedom to come back. 
so yeah, so I I doubt we would use him in that role. It seems unlikely if we're no. going to take him off. It's not going to be like, oh, well, we'll we'll actually take Pulisic off and add Pepe on so that Ferreira can re- remain in an attacking role. Uh, <laughs> if he's if he's not doing it, he's he's coming off the field. Right. I think that's a that's about where we are right now for the national team and and where Ferreira stands. I, I do think he will be a lock to be in the roster. Uh, because I don't think there's enough room <laughs> essentially for him to fail his way off of the team before then. Like he could fail his way off of the team in Qatar, uh, but not before then. So I think it's safe to call him a lock. Um, uh, but that's why, that's why I consider it so wide open is because he's so unproven at that level that even, even as he's the prohibitive starter, if he even is, do we even know he is? <laughs> I don't know. I don't even, I, I suspect Berhalter doesn't even really know yet. <laughs> Like we, 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 we still talk about him like he is, uh, in part maybe because he, you know, started the all important Panama game in the final qualifying window. And then he was the only sort of holdover from the striker pool into the June camp. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Berhalter has him as the, as the first choice. Pepe started two out of the three final games. Uh, and at least one of those games was going to also be important. It turned out to be the Mexico game. Uh, so that was a big deal. Um, and then, you know, in the past, there have been past times where, you know, the fan base has kind of worked its way into a narrative. Uh, Reggie Cannon was a good example where everyone kind of just assumed Cannon was ahead of Yedlin in Burhalter's mind uh, and, well, and on all their spreadsheets. And it turned out that maybe that was never really the case. Maybe Burhalter always still had Yedlin ahead of Cannon and still does to this day. The other thing is he is Ferrero was one of the holdovers in the June camp, the only holdover in the June camp. And then the other the other striker who came in, Haji Wright say what you will about the circumstances he was thrown into. He did not look that great. And, and then Burhalter made a point to sort of criticize him after, or like after the last game or something, uh, which indicated, you know, probably we're not going to see right again. Uh, so, so that's, I guess that's, that adds to the reasons to think that Ferreira is the, is the prohibitive starter, but yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. So, so what it comes down to again is I'm, I'm, Totally comfortable calling Ferreira a lock for the the roster. He's he's going to be on there. So who who's next? Is Pepe? Pepe's probably not a lock. I mean, he's barely even playing in preseason in Augsburg, but he's uh he's probably going to be on the roster, right? This is where it gets super dicey, right? It's going to depend on Berhalter's willingness to take chances uh, with players he's not as familiar with, because Pepe played the lion's share of number nine minutes through World Cup qualifying. Uh, which is ironic because his day, his entry into the team, his integration, is is kind kind of echoes what would need to happen if he's not a lock after all, right? Like if if Pepe's not a lock, it means we're probably going to introduce somebody new at the eleventh hour, uh, which is exactly how Pepe made his way into the national team in World Cup qualifying, where he hadn't played a single minute for the senior national team uh, leading up to the qualifying campaign. Um, we are in desperate times away to Honduras and we decide to turn to the 19 year old, totally unproven player. And, and so Berhalter was willing to take that risk. Um, and that's the, a similar risk he would need to take if we introduce, for example, Brandon Vasquez into the team for the world cup. Yeah. Just to refresh everyone's memory, Ricardo Pepe scored the game winner in that game. <laughs> and, um, he, yeah, it's kind of like a tale of two halves for the whole team, but he had a pretty poor first half and an excellent second half. And, um, and then he played, I thought, you know, he scored two goals against Jamaica and then what he didn't score again after that, he scored those three goals and then he never scored another goal. But I thought, you know, we were discussing this earlier offline. I thought he was pretty good against Mexico at home and, 
Also against Mexico away, he was pretty good. Um, not not fantastic, but allows some connectivity in the attacking half. Um, so I'm not I'm not going to be sad, even if he's not playing much for Augsburg, which he's probably not going to be. Uh, it's the way it looks right now. I'm still going to be uh, satisfied with his presence in the in the roster if he's there. I'm kind of a peppy partisan, though. You know? <laughs> I'm totally fine with it. I think I, I said maybe even a couple months ago, if you told me right now, or if you told me back then in, you know, June, uh, that the three for the World Cup were already decided and it was going to be Ferreira, Pepe, and Pifak, I'd be like, cool, let's run with it. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not convinced that any of the three of them will really, like, take the, take the tournament in their hands, um, but I think they, are a, they, they get a competent passing grade, uh, and I'm good with it. I do think that they're is at least a chance we could have find some improvements over the next two months. Um, and, and this is kind of what this whole episode is about is which players are in a position to play their way into it. Who could play their way above uh, some guys who are, who have the inside track. And, and this is where I just think that while Pepe sets a decent floor, those Mexico performances were solid. There, there definitely are some guys who could, who could uh, impress just a little bit more, just enough that they get into camp in September. And then who knows from there? Yeah. So, so I totally agree with you. Like Pepe has not been bad. I don't, I'm not trying to trash Pepe. I don't think he's been bad. I, he, nothing he has done for the national team in the qualifiers has in any way been disqualifying. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of like, there might be some, there might be a few cases out there that just become too difficult to ignore uh, just to test out. And I know we don't have a ton of testing time, uh, but we do have a little, I don't think it's as like imminent of a situation where, um, the you know that final September camp is so precious that we literally can't bring in uh, another another extra striker to to kick some tires. Should we talk about Pifak or or, or Vas- Vasquez first? Uh, let's talk about Vasquez first, just because it follows on the heels of that uh, that potential like MLS extended camp. Yeah, following their regular season. Okay, Brandon Brandon Vasquez, if you've been living under a rock, is. Uh, the striker for FC Cincinnati sort of came out of nowhere uh, in the last eighteen months or so. Um, it came up in the Atlanta United Atlanta United system for at least part of his youth. Born in California, uh, played for Atlanta United too. I watched some of those games back then when I was trying to figure out uh, whether Andrew Carlton was going to be the next <laughs> great ten on the global <laughs> soccer stage. Uh, he was not, and actually. Vasquez looked pretty bad back in those days. He was, he was not a, it was not fun to watch him or that team, really. But he's, he's definitely turned it around. He has the look of a striker. He, he's got the frame of a striker. He's, he's been fearless in the box. 13 goals this season for Cincinnati. And the under, maybe, maybe tell us what the underlying numbers say because that's the, you know, that's the more important thing. So the underlying numbers say that Brandon Vasquez is clearly ahead of the rest of the domestic hat. Uh, and this, again, the, the running bit from last year um, was that all of our domestic striker pool was interchangeable, including Ricardo Pepe. We were all super excited about him. But even as he was breaking out in the, for the U.S. in those early qualifiers in his debut and then the uh, Jamaica game right after, um, you know, we were still saying, hey, his, his underlying numbers aren't that good. Uh, so it could just be a matter of like, a couple of hot moments. He's on this heater. And, you know, the, the other thing, obviously, weighing into that, I think at the time he was 17. So it's like, okay, he could make a jump up. But the numbers we have to work with 
uh, are basically his MLS Dallas numbers because he doesn't really have Augsburg numbers. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even trying to ding him for that, but you also can't like reward him for that. Uh, we don't know if any of these other guys would be able to jump into the Bundesliga and do anything, but we do know Pepe isn't doing it. So we're not going to say he's, you know, an excellent Bundesliga striker because he's not yet, which is yeah. fine. We have his numbers from when he was an 18 year old at Dallas and they were like, they were actually kind of run of the mill. That's, that was the whole, that was the whole bit, right? Like all of our ML strikers are in the exact same uh, numbers bracket. Well, Brandon Vasquez is not in that bracket this year. He's like a full 10th of a goal or assist better per game uh, than everyone else in the hat was last year. And that basically everyone in the hat is this year. So that's a, that's a lot like that's worth investigating because if that's real, if you can add a 10th of a goal, uh, in one position per game, like that's a huge, that's a huge step up in a, in a game where you're trying to create every edge you can. Now I know you can, you can go see what Matt Doyle is saying about Brandon Vasquez. There's a lot, there's a lot of people talking about uh, what he's doing well, but like, what do you see as his, like, how is he getting that extra 10th of goal, uh, a game goal or assist? So there is a lot of, there is a lot of like a fox in the box. I mean, you guys have been talking about that on the Monday reviews. He does have, he does have uh, a a tremendous element of like a box foxiness, I think, to put it, to put it uh, as the way way Waki does. Like he does that very well. Like it's, it's little things. It's, it's nuanced, but he does control the pitch very well in those last few yards of the field, which are vital for. Um, maximizing your chances of the ball falling correctly to you, right? It's not just luck. It's if you control more of the field, the likelihood that the ball falls in that zone that you're controlling increases. So you see him sealing defenders off of his body as the ball's wide. Um, you see him, uh, you know, floating into the right pocket. Um, in those pockets, again, tiny, but if you can double the size of it and go from two yards to four yards, that will pay off to the tune of about a tenth of a goal per game. And, and I'm kind of with Vince on here. I think his feet are a little bit nicer than you are maybe giving him credit for, Bells. Okay, yeah, I feel like I'm on an <laughs> island here now. But I, I did go back. I did go back and watch like six. No, I'm not going to exaggerate. I watched four of his games last night, four of his, all of his received passes in four games last night because I've, I've been getting pushback on many fronts <laughs> on this point. Um. And I, I totally stand by my point. Like he's, I'm not saying he's terrible, but he's receiving the ball to feet or, you know, receiving the ball in any way, uh, about 12 times a game. So it, it varies a little bit. It varies with everybody. I mean, even Ferreira varies. He'll get 37, he'll receive 37 passes one game and then like nine the next. It's, it varies in the game of soccer. Uh, with Vasquez, it varies much less. He's almost always under 20 uh, received passes a game. And often much less, thus you get an average of 12 over the last 15 games. He's making a loose pass, like I'd call it an unforced error, you know, conservatively two to four times a game. Like, and that's kind of a lot when you're only touching the ball 12 times. Uh, And I just think like, so he's, he's really strong. And I think that's a big difference between him and, and Ferreira, you know, that big six foot three frame, his shoulders are broad as the Mississippi river. And he's, <laughs> and he's, you, you couldn't have used an Ohio river. Bells are no. so many Ohio rivers and you had to stick with the Mississippi. I had to stick with the big one. 
And like that's I, I I recognize the value of that. I recognize the value of his fearlessness in the penalty area and his ability to get on the end of chances and put put him. And he he's missing he's missing chances too. Everybody every striker does. I th- I think that's even a positive. You know there there he there are more goals that he could have scored in um in this season. But that's I'm just gonna I have to jump in. I'm obligated to point out the insanity of that when he's at like uh I mean he's actually way overperforming his his underlying numbers. To the tune of like a quarter of a goal a game, uh, so he's he's on a heater for finishing. So we shouldn't actually expect his finishing to maintain. Right, I'm not I'm not trying to get into the conversion thing. You, I'm saying I'm saying I'm saying he got into it. You're well, deep into it. I'm, well, not, I'm not just going to well, sidestep it. Let me back away and just say I, when you watch his games, you can see that he's he's getting in good good spots a lot, not just on go. the times where he scores goals. That's fair. <laughs> the other, but but I do think that I do think his technical ability in tight space is. Um, it's not on. It's not on Ferreira's level. It's not on. It's. I don't think it's on Pepe's level either. It's. It's probably pretty similar to to Pifak, You know, like that's that's a that's a pretty, I think a fair comparison. Um, why do you think I'm wrong about how nice his feet are? Well, I, th- I think that's going to be the the de- the determining factor um, for for how well he could fit into a group of twenty three is whether or not he would force us to change the way that Berhalter intends on playing. Because I think when you, if you, you know, if you consider Jesus a starter, if you think of Pepe as his direct backup, if Jesus gets hurt or if he's, he's just not getting the job done, I, if, if you throw in Pifak, uh, all the times Pifak has played for us, we have completely changed the way we play or the way we use our striker. Uh, and I don't know, again, I don't know if that's like explicit direction in the, you know, in the pregame uh, or if it's just working around players' tendencies once they're on the field. Uh, but we don't do that with Pepe, obviously. When Pepe comes in for Ferreira, we still look more or less the same. There'll be some differences in, you know, the way the depth uh, and Ferrer will tend to get even deeper uh, than Pepe to drop back and receive the ball. But overall, I would say that the plan doesn't change much. So that would be the, the big question for me for Vasquez, if he's going to try to actually take Pepe's spot or Ferrer's even to be the starting striker, is whether he could do those things well enough um, that we wouldn't have to change the rest of our game plan. And it would just be a, if you would consider him close enough to be a like for like, and he would just um, step up and be a, a slightly better version of what we already have. And I don't know if he is, I don't know if he is. Um, but again, I think it was, I think it was a miss to not have had him in camp in June uh, in part, just because there was so much room for him. I mean, we brought two strikers to that extended window. Right. right. Um, and he wasn't, he wouldn't have been taking anyone's spot because uh, DK was hurt. PFOC was hurt. Uh, even Josh Sargent, if you're still holding out hope there, he was hurt. Um, we would, we chose to give Pepe a break. There was just this giant hole for Vasquez to be the obvious guy to step into. And even if the minutes were already allotted to Ferreira and Haji for Haji's audition, I mean, 15 days in camp would have been good. I think uh, if, he's now gonna come in, if, he, if he's now going to come into, if he's now going to come into September camp, it will actually like you will, it, there's no way around it. It was a miss not to have had 15 of those days in camp to bring him into the September camp. Yeah, I agree with that. I guess I do think he's going to look more like Pfock than he is like Pepe uh when he when he comes on. And maybe that's okay because he's so he's been so effective in the penalty area and and when I say effective in the pen, penalty area, I'm not talking about conversion. I'm just talking about <laughs> his ability to get like good shooting opportunities. But people who haven't watched Brandon Vasquez, if they see him for the first time run out there in the World Cup and I, like, don't be surprised if his first three touches are five feet away from him. All right. That, I'm not backing fair. down. 
and again, we're, we're still in this, even with Vasquez Five yards being, away from him, I mean, yeah. <laughs> even with Vasquez being way ahead of uh, where the rest of the hat was, statistically, the domestic pool at least, the pool playing domestically last year. Um, yeah, there's, there's certainly, that's not enough that he's, a, he's guaranteed to be a, an upgrade. Uh, so I, I don't think that that's absolutely the case. I just think he's, he's far enough ahead statistically that it would be almost like negligent not to see if he is that real upgrade. Because if he is at either the starting striker spot, potentially the backup, or for that third, um, you know, sit- situational uh, big man striker, like I think there's enough there that we got to test it out. Yeah, I'm for it. I'm for testing it out. I, I think, you know, so, so PFOC played in the DFB Pokal yesterday, scored a really nice goal. I mean, are we calling it an overhead goal? It's close. I'm, I'm okay calling it an overhead. He, he was not facing the goal when he struck the ball. No. So I'm, I'm okay calling it an overhead goal. Yeah, it was a cross that was sort it's of... It's acrobatic. Yeah, it was very acrobatic. De- deflected off the crosser's feet from the left, and um, Pivok's making a near post run. The ball kind of floats into the air towards him. He adjusts his body, and then, I mean, overhead kicks it from like three yards out. Totally takes the goalkeeper by surprise, puts some topspin on it so it stays down. Uh, and that's the equalizer that Union Berlin needed to uh, to stay alive and then beat Chemnitzer in extra time. Right. So I, I think I think PFOC already has a good uh, leg to stand on um, for at worst being that situational striker for the World Cup. Uh, again, he gets into good spots, man. He just he he knows where to be. Uh, he he was doing it for two seasons in Switzerland. He's done it for the national team and uh, for whatever you know, happened in the Azteca, he was in the right spot. He was right there <laughs> on the goal mouth, right at the gate. So that's the important thing for me. Uh, he wasn't a worse finisher in that game than he was yesterday when he has a super improvisational, acrobatic, spectacular goal. Mm-hmm. Um, he's that guy. So uh, I do think that he would, if we tried to start him, it would change, it would change a lot of the things we do that I don't think Burhalter is is really willing to do. I'm not super up for it right now, uh, based on what we've seen from some other guys who and what they can do in the starting role. Uh, but I right now I assume PFOC is. I don't know where do you where do you think Burhalter has him? I don't. I have no idea, honestly. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I think I I think it's a it's a really confusing situation and probably is confusing for Burhalter too. I guess the question on. On Vasquez, I want to I want to ask you directly. Do you think Vasquez, if if on a scale of one to ten, if one is he's he's a like for like replacement with Pifak, and ten is he's a like for like replacement for like sort of the best version of Jesus Ferreira, what is he? Uh, he's closer to Pifak. I don't think there's any question. Uh, I don't have any. I don't have too much doubt. The, the the issue becomes like if Ferreira just can't do the Ferreira stuff at all, right? Then it doesn't matter, right? So right. then it's like okay, well he he's he's not. Vasquez isn't going to like totally fall over the ball, hopefully. So he can just come in and be more of like the traditional hold up player. Uh, you know, but I don't know. W- where do you land on it? I mean, like put him at a three, probably. <laughs> three, three. Three for Ferreira? No, no. I mean, I'm just, this, <laughs> I is, this, is not a, this is not a rating scale. I'm just, it's just how close are you to the type of player that PFOC is and how close are you to the type of player that Ferreira is? I would say if five means you're like a perfect blend of the two, you're halfway between them, I would put him at a three. So he's like, uh, he's like 
you know, uh, seven tenths of the way okay, to being exactly like PFOC. Yeah. Gotcha. In, in terms okay. of the way he allows the, the team to play with his ability in the buildup and in tight space. Okay. Okay. That's fair. So, so then the question becomes like, uh, or one of the many questions is for PFOC to like solidify a spot on the plane. Uh, what is, what does he need to do? Do you think he, he, he can get there just by attrition? Like if everyone else just sort of stands pat and doesn't have huge breakout seasons, um, can, can PFOC just hold on to that third spot if he, if he even has it? If Pepe gets completely railroaded this fall and like really isn't playing hardly at all, that's probably the best news for PFOC. So I don't know what um, he needs to do. I, it, it does feel a little bit mystical. Like how, what's, what did Greg Brawlter have for breakfast the day he decides the, <laughs> the roster? So I actually think it's less about Pepe. I, I feel like PFOC's role won't depend on Pepe. I feel like, I think Vasquez could nudge PFOC out of the pool uh, or out of the, out of the roster. If he's, if he gets a September look and actually does really well, um, because he, Vasquez can be that, that big striker option, right? Yeah. I don't think Pepe can really be that, uh, in a way that makes sense, you know, on a 23 man ro- or on a 26 man roster for the entire world cup. Um, so I feel like Pepe is almost less, less influential here than some of the other guys on this list. We're about to talk about, uh, which would be like a Daryl DK. Uh, Haji Wright, some of those players who are, you know, definitely not on the Jesus Ferreira end of the spectrum, but who could come in and be uh, late game targets. Uh, I mean, should we, should we talk about some of them and what we saw them do over the weekend? Mm. I, I didn't really watch. I didn't really watch what Haji did. I mean, I, I know he didn't. He had a pretty unremarkable performance against uh, Dortmund in a friendly. Um, DK DK did make some impact off the bench for West Brom. Um, That'd be the one, right? And and the impact he made was like exactly the kind of thing you'd be looking for. For you know, we're chasing a goal. Uh, our our possession, you know, deliberate stuff isn't working that well. DK ragdolls the center back and is in on running at Zach Steffen's near post, right? Like that kind of thing plays. Like that's that's yeah. something you can throw your last hope in and be like. I don't know, maybe DK can make something happen and smash it in. I mean, that's, you know, Greg Berhalter's done a lot of interviews in the last month or so. And so, um, but that's one question I think would be worth asking him is like getting him to really get in the weeds on what is he looking, what is he really looking at when he's watching these, these strikers play on the weekend? Like what, what is he looking for? And cause I, I'm not sure I fully no, yeah. You'd you'd have to almost tie it to roster construction. Like when you see DK do that, does it matter, or is it like now he has to be able to do X, Y, and Z? Even though you know this could be a situational thing, I'm not. I'm just not interested unless he can do. Uh, like I don't have a spot on the roster for just that trait. That's that's what I'm curious about because we're all talking about it as though that spot exists and people are fighting for it, but it might not. Hmm. I mean, logic would dictate it exists. You want you would want a. Uh... <laughs> a striker who can come in and, and be physical and sort of get something done in a bit of a sloppy game or a, a late in a game. So you think Pepe's more, Pepe's more safe because really all these other guys are fighting for one spot. Yeah, to be honest, I do. I think if we, if we consider Ferreira as Burhalter's guy right now, if it's not Ferreira, I think Pepe might be Burhalter's guy right now. They both uh, let him play in the way in his mind, he's ready to start playing. And the experiments he's tried with uh, P. Fox starting with Haji Wright starting where he wasn't thrilled 
Um, none of them resulted in us playing that same style. So I think if he wants to play the style he wants, he, those are his two front runners. Uh, and it just comes down to whether or not, you know, there are other real long shots that would need huge, like, changes in their club setup, whether it's Josh Sargent or uh, like a Matthew Hoppy. But it, those guys just seem even farther off because they're not actually doing it right now, right? Vasquez is doing it right now. PFOC is doing it. Uh, Wright is kind of doing it, or he was on a heater at the in the spring. But then when he got a shot, he kind of got taken down a level or two by Berhalter postgame. So it, it does feel like it's, yeah, Pepe and Ferreira for that primary role. And then if it exists, uh, a separate tryout for uh, the late game role. That's a helpful way to think about it. It's important to remember that we haven't had a fully informed and prolific number nine in Europe, which is an important qualifier going into the World Cup basically ever. Credit to Jeremiah O'Shan for pointing this out. Um, Jeremiah is the, the supreme commander of Sounder at Heart and uh, SB Nation Soccer, I think. And also you, Greg, you've point, you sort of pointed this out over the years, specifically with regard to Josie Altidore. But let's start with 2002. Brian McBride had only scored two goals for his club in the previous 12 months before that World Cup. And then yeah, he and was then a hero. Yeah, like three goals in the World Cup. Um, and, and McBride's situation was kind of interesting. We'll, we'll dive into a rabbit hole because that's what we do here. Um, but he, had, you know, he was at Columbus Crew in 2001. And then at the end of that, he went on loan to England, I think like a first division team, uh, Preston North End. Uh, David Moyes, I think, coached at the time. And uh, he got hurt. Like he got hurt in the very first game in a typical McBride way, like a huge collision. I think he had to have a rib removed. Uh, like he's a hard man. Yeah. Um, so, so then he didn't play basically the rest of the season. He got in at the very end of the season back with Preston. Um, and then what happened was, this is crazy for the U.S. team. When he, when he got back, he, he came back from his loan in January, but instead of like going back to Columbus, he basically just was a full-time U.S. men's national team player because 2002 was an insane like lead up to the World Cup. They played nine friendlies before that June World Cup from February through May. Um, and in January, they played the entire 2002 Gold Cup, which, ha- which took place in January. So they had oh, really? 14, I didn't know that. It, 14 national team matches in 2002 prior to a June World Cup. So he basically wasn't a club player for the 12 months prior to the World Cup. So it was kind of impossible for him to be in form in that sense. Okay, uh, well, I retract that because he also he scored a <laughs> lot of goals for the national team in, in those friendlies and in the, in the Gold Cup too. I, I don't know exactly how many, but he was scoring at a pretty decent clip. Yeah, I mean, so, so he was, so it was just a matter of like, he was, he was, he wasn't informed because he, he couldn't ever, he wasn't fully healthy for a lot of it. And then when he came back, it was just stop, start and stop national team, Columbus national, every week he just switched, switched zip code. So, uh, so that was kind of our, but that was our striker situation going into the tournament. It may have been settled, uh, but it wasn't like he was riding on a goal scoring high by any stretch. Okay. All right, so maybe 2002 is a little bit, at least there's some caveats there. 2006 <laughs> is uh, McBride had scored nine goals the previous season for Fulham. So that's, you know, that's, that's pretty good. It's a little bit of an outlier. Um, I mean, when you, when you say pretty good, like that's, that's basically the best big five league season uh, that U.S. strikers almost ever had in yeah. the U.S. Or it's in the top two or three. So, uh, you know, that's why we're, when we're talking about PFOC and what he might do it uh, in the Bundesliga, it's like if he has a 10-goal season, if he has four goals uh, before the World Cup, he's on his way. He's on pace 
do like the best season ever for a U.S. striker. Yeah. Yeah. Nine. I, I didn't, I didn't, shouldn't have downplayed that. Nine goals in the Premier League is, <laughs> is good. Um, 2010, we had Josie Altador coming in as our starter, and he had scored one goal in the previous season for Hull City. Uh, 2014, he had scored two goals in the previous season for Sunderland. Um, that year we had then, Wando too. Go ahead. Well, I was just saying, 2010 was when you know we lost Charlie Davies uh, ahead of the World Cup. Oh yeah. Um, and then the replacements we brought on, we did go the hot hand route, right? Like we brought in Robbie Finley and we brought in Hurt Gomez, uh, Edson Bottle, because those guys were hot at the time uh, in the lead up, and that's who we rode with. Uh, and it's easy to say those guys didn't accomplish anything, but you know Josie also didn't as much during that world cup as uh as we as we maybe needed i mean he he played his he played his role and helped helped open things up for dempsey and donovan um but anyway it's just it's just another way of so, sort of showing how we try to solve these problems and how we try to paper over uh our lack of striker depth yeah so i guess if we end up with um you know any of any combination of these six or seven options it's not going to be you know, it's not going to be that much different from what we've been doing historically. In fact, you know, Ferreira and Vasquez together have 25 goals in MLS so far this season. So it's a lot of goal scoring. But, but that's still the worry. I think that's still the worry that people have is that, you know, Robbie Finley was tearing up MLS and, and he came, and, and came in and just wasn't able to be a factor. Uh, Wando was kind of tearing up MLS in 2014. Uh, obviously in the XG era, we know that we shouldn't draw too many conclusions from his lone shot that he took in his like 50 minutes of World Cup action uh, about whether he's at the right level or not to, f- to finish uh, in these games. But, but that, that is definitely, I think, the, the worry people have is that these guys just won't get it done. Which again, I share that worry. It's just because I don't think we have a, we don't have a proven top league uh, striker. We just don't have that in our, in our pool. How much do you, uh, I mean, we've spent 40 minutes on the striker, so (laughs) how concerned are you about pressing ability? Like PFOC, you know, that's been, people are always saying, well, PFOC's pressing a little more for Union Berlin than he was at Young Boys. I'm not sure that's 100% true, but maybe it is a little bit. Is that going to? Well, we don't, I'm skeptical just of any conclusions that people draw from preseason whatsoever. I mean, that's, that's long been my thing is just sort of, ignore those games almost completely. Uh, so even though we enjoyed Brendan Aronson's three assists for Leeds United, we have to know that uh, preseason just doesn't mean very much. And that will all go out the door after 45 minutes of regular season play, where we'll all make actual conclusions and set them in stone. But I, I don't like, I, I do think pressing is very important for the way the U.S. plays. Like I do think that at the moment that is effectively sets the floor uh, of what we're going to get out of our striker. Um, and Ferrer does it really well. Pepe, I think, has gotten the cues down. Uh, PFOC, we haven't seen really do it that much uh, because he's, he's played in limited situations and very few of them required a lot of pressing uh, in the games he's played in. So I'm not sure. I think, he's, I think he would be willing to. It's really just going to come down to whether or not whoever we bring along, if we're bringing new players, have time to sort of learn the cues and triggers and uh, cover shadows that they need to be responsible for to be honest okay all right we should move on to a different position um okay did we leave anyone out who did we leave out that's gonna be i mean uh, we, we left out sergeant he got name checked by 
I mean, you did mention him briefly. He got name checked by Berhalter in one of those interviews in the last few weeks. But uh, I don't know. We talked about him a lot on the Monday Review. Sign up for the Patreon if you want to hear that. <laughs> uh, I don't want to brag, but uh, in all seriousness, I do think Waki and Vince and I have figured out a pretty good formula for that episode every week. And it's it's worth the $5 a month most people pay to get it every week. You can You can get them for two bucks a month also. Uh, by joining our Patreon, the link is in the show notes. Oh, it's uh, fantastically, it's fantastically entertaining, and it brings you up to speed on pretty much the entire pool uh, every week. So it's a it's a huge uh, boost for my for my uh, like ability to follow the players. Thank you, Greg. Uh, we should just go through and do the locks, and then talk. You know, talk about. I mean, striker is I think the one the position with the most to talk about. So it's. It's fair that we spent three quarters of the episode on that, but there's there are other positions. Goalkeeper, who do you think are the locks, and does the third goalkeeper even really matter that much? It does. It it only does if uh, if Stefan's considered a lock. Is that a, is that a right right way to put it? Um, I I think Turner and Stefan are locks. I don't know if Stefan should be, um, but with Berhalter as a coach, I think Stefan's in. So uh, at if if uh, if Turner's going to play, and if Stefan would play if Turner doesn't play, if Turner gets hurt or you know red carded somehow, then the third keeper does not matter. So uh, I think we'll probably pick a guy that just is good with the team. So my guess would be that's Sean Johnson. Okay. All right. Uh, or, but but we should all be watching Ethan Horvath very carefully because I think he is an excellent goalkeeper who could easily be in our top two of actual best goalkeepers. I just am not sure that will matter for his ability to get onto the roster. Yeah, somebody who's watching Stefan very carefully is Vince, who uh, has posted some videos um, from Stefan's performance over the weekend. There's a there's a nonchalance there that is kind of strange to see. Did you want to say anything about that? Well, we with I mean again, I don't want to make too many conclusions off of off of the first game of the season. The good thing is over the many games that the championship plays before, uh, before November, if anyone, if Stefan or Horvath are actual like liabilities, we should find that out uh, in, in no uncertain terms. So um, that's, that's actually what I'm thankful for. I'm glad both those guys are in positions to play a lot because you can't hide. If you can't do it, if you can't really do it, you're, you're going to be caught out. So that's the good news. Yep. Yeah, looks like Stefan's going to play every week. Fullback. The locks are Serginio Dest at Barcelona and Jedi Robinson at Fulham. Yeah, and I think Gedlin, I think you guys are right, uh, the Monday Review crew, I believe. I think Gedlin's uh, got the inside track. Um, one, of the, one of the only, he would be probably the only World Cup veteran to make this roster for the U.S. Um, and I think his, his bond with Weah is enough to put him on the plane. <laughs> Mountain boys. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know if I agree that Yedlin. Sh- I mean, I I agree with what you just said. I don't I don't know if I think he should be a uh, a lock. I mean, he did he did look kind of rough over the weekend, but I don't know that any. It's kind of like the hat analogy. All the there's all the right backs are kind of hard to distinguish for me. Um, Shaq Moore is the one that I would that I would like to see more of. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's possible. And it's not, I'm not going to start a riot about it if, if he isn't, if he isn't given well, another chance, you know? It, I guess it'll work like this. We'll get, we'll get two months of, of 
decent comparable data between Yedlin and Shaq since they're playing in the same league now. Yeah. But, All right, but we're just running through the locks right now, right? So, so I got us off, off track even talking about Yedlin. We've got two goalkeeper locks, two fullback locks. So we're up to four center backs. Who do we got? Well, we're, we're going, I mean, we're talking about who's fighting for those spots too, as we go. Okay. Don't, don't you think okay, we should? I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so fighting for those one, so you're saying they're one to two slots at fullback. Uh, I think so. I think, cause I think there's ways to construct a roster and, and this is where the, you, you know, Burhalter can shuffle some openings around to be like, how does he want to fill it? Um, but if he doesn't love any of his left backs, then it sure seems like uh, we're not going to bring five fullbacks just to do it. Yeah. I guess the one question is, is he going to, are we going to bring a backup left back and like a pure backup left back? There's part of me that says, well, we should just, it's fine to just say we bring Shaq more. He can play left back in a pinch. He has done it in the last 12 months for his club. Uh, not a lot, but a little, he has done it. Um, or, you know, Kellen Acosta could deputize at left back if, if need be. This is if Anthony Robinson gets injured. Because I think Anthony Robinson should be probably playing 270 minutes in the group stage unless he does get hurt or, um, you know, unless we're up 3-0 or something and just want to see out a game. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. And this, this is where we can kind of talk about floor versus ceiling uh, as well for, for getting roster construction purposes. Um, we're not trying to improve our ceiling uh, at fullback, right? We're not going to take a high, high ceiling risk player here because the only way they're going to play, if we're, if we're chasing a goal and we need that, like who's who's at least capable of something? It's just going to be Jedi. We're just leaving Jedi in. We're not bringing in George Bellow to be like we we really need a goal, so we'll bring in specialist attacking fullback George Bellow. We're only using a fullback if Jedi goes down. At which point we do just want the highest floor possible. Who's not going to hurt us? Uh, so for fullback, the floor ceiling question is very much who's the floor. Uh, and if we don't find a suitable one, uh, then we just probably won't bring a backup left back. I mean, Sam Vines is in consideration, I guess. Uh, starting to seems like he's starting to play well for Royal Antwerp in Belgium. There's a whole raft of younger guys. Yeah, we still have Joe Scally uh, playing, and and you just have to be willing to give him another shot after a shaky debut. But uh, shaky debuts are, are kind of a common thing, so you could you could weigh that in and and say if he's still looking dependable uh, in the Bundesliga, uh, no no reason not to give him another. Uh, examination in September. Yeah. Yeah, I guess Scally and Vines are probably the closest to like being able to set a floor. I don't think I don't think the I don't think Bello sets that high of a floor. Um, there, you know, some names that are bandied about: Joe, Jonathan Gomez, and Kevin Paredes. Not really even full fledged first team players yet. Um, it's so hard to hard to know what kind of floor they set. Yeah, it would take it would take a huge uh, shift in their standing with their clubs, I think, for them to have a shot here. Okay, which would be wildly exciting if it happened. Yeah, yeah. I think future is bright for both of those guys, but um, but yeah, just a little a little early. On on the right side, it's uh, it's Cannon and Jack Moore, right? Who are might yeah, might get I don't in that spot. I don't, I don't think there's anyone else really even in contention. It would again, it would have to be like uh, Joe Scally just being uh, a depth piece because he could also be a left back depth piece. Yeah, I mean that that is something that that works in Scally's favor. 
I still feel like uh, I'd, I'd almost rather see Acosta at left back than any of those guys. <laughs> Even though he's not, per, you know, he's not a perfect left back, of course, but you know, he's not going to get totally rinsed up there. Famous I, last I mean, words. I don't, I don't know that. <laughs> Famous last it, words. I think it does come down to, for some reason, Acosta just feels like uh, he will meet the moment. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Anything else to say about the fullbacks? No, just that that's still the wild card, but it's also the one that hopefully we won't actually ever have to see who, uh, the, the level of the player who's going to be backing up Serginho Dastard, Jedi Robinson. Yeah, I'm really rooting for, uh, for Shaq Moore to have a strong couple of months and, um, and get on, onto that roster because he, he can, like I said, can play a little left back. Center back. Who are the locks? All right. So we've got Zimmerman and Richards going. I'm comfortable putting both those in the lot, the lot category. Uh, Burhalter himself kind of tiered out our center backs, and he included Long and CCV with that first group, which I think probably scans for me based on, you know, what we're dealing with with the injury situation. Uh, and, and this just is not a, a position that I feel like we'll be rotating at all, um, barring injury. So it's like Zimmerman and Richards, in my mind, will hopefully play the entire world cup now that doesn't always happen last in 2014 i think we used all four of our center backs because of uh various guys cramping up but uh it's not plan a isn't to rotate your center backs i don't think so it's it's pretty important that richards get some minutes at crystal palace i think um some significant minutes over the next few months i would be a little bit scary to have him coming in really cold but um I don't know. Any is it any scarier than Aaron Long starting at center back? I I mean I don't think so. So uh, you know Long's Long's value is or what, what his perceived value is going to be is uh, just being reliable defensively, right? We almost go in knowing Aaron Long is is not going to help us in our ability to attack with the soccer ball. Is that fair? Yes. And but I but mean, the part that I'm not sure is fair is is he actually reliable defensively? Yeah, that that's definitely an open question, and uh, or at least is he any more reliable than than other candidates? Uh, I don't know if we ha- if we just might not possess like a full on World Cup level shutdown defender. Uh, but but the distribution one is is definitely a real thing, and it's it's one that I really do think hurts us quite a bit uh, because it the way we're going to be trying to play against some of the teams that. Uh, probably will sit back a little bit. We are going to, I think, need a little bit higher of a level of of incisive passing than we're going to get from Aaron Long. So CCV, CCV is, I think, a little bit better passer than Long. But um, I mean, if it's if it's Zimmerman, Richards, Long, and CCV, I, I, that's fine with me. I don't. Who who else is fighting for a spot here? Is there anybody? Well, roster construction wise, I mean, there might even be a fifth center back. Regardless, and uh, I think one of the guys who could be playing his way into that would be James Sands, who's starting oh, yeah, as we yeah. speak uh, for Rangers. Um, but it's it doesn't seem like there's that much, right? Like, uh, like you have Mark McKenzie, I think, as your fallback because he's got a ton of time with the group. And um, outside of that uh, Mexico Gold Cup final or a Nations League final, um, he's been sort of neutral right he's been a neutral defender he hasn't he hasn't been totally exposed at any point so i think he can become that floor setting piece uh where we probably don't go any any lower than that um and then it just becomes like an eric palmer brown if he can play above that level 
if John Brooks just goes to San Jose Earthquakes and, and lights up the league, I don't think you could ignore that. <laughs> Tim Ream, does he have a chance? I, I don't think so. Uh, I, I guess I'm not super optimistic that he's going to see a lot of minutes. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe they've uh, come around on his Premier League level and, and we'll actually leave him in. At last, last time they were up, uh, after three games, their owner was like sending out apologies to the fans saying, we'll bring in new players, we promise, because they'd given up nine goals in uh, 180 minutes. And Reem didn't see the field again uh, until like the last week of the season. So I don't know. I don't know if they've changed their evaluation and think that he's now capable of it or not. But I'm not optimistic. Okay. All right. Central midfield, defensive midfield. There's not, this can be a quick one because... Really, nobody can play their way into this spot, right? I don't think so. I think it's Adams and Acosta, and uh, you know, if if James Sands is like working in at center back, it's because he can also be this player in a pinch. Or uh, you know, as we saw in the last window, we just shift to more of a double pivot and bring on Gio Reyna or Brendan Aronson as more of an attacking midfielder and set up, solve it that way. Yeah, I think that's going to be the the solution because because we have such a crowd of attacking players who probably deserve to see minutes in a world cup. Well, you know, you know, you they could credibly see minutes. If, if Adams or Acosta gets injured before the world cup, you know, like a long-term injury, I think we're, you know, it's sort of just back to the drawing board. I don't know. I don't know if anybody is sort of even close to knocking on the door there. I don't think so. I think if we lose either of those guys, um, the, the backup plan to the other one, I think, you know, you just would, if Adams gets hurt, you probably just run with Acosta and see if you can keep everything else the same. Uh, but if that's not working, then the backup plan I think would be to move more into that double pivot, and and you just fill in the center mid, the empty the now vacant center midfield spot with a Brendan Aronson. And there are worse things to do uh, than try to solve it that way. Yeah, it's also almost kind of exciting to think about that <laughs> with the uh, you know with Wea and Pulisic or Reina, you know even Reina in the midfield. So we're, we're up to eight locks so far, for the record, for where we're at. Yeah, those are Turner, Stefan, Dest, Jedi, Zimmerman, Richards, Adams, and Acosta, with Yedlin and Long as, um, what, probables? Yeah, we'll call them probables. Uh, so center mid, we've got, we've got three more, right? Weston, Musa, and Luca. I, I'm calling all of them locks. Even if Luca can't really crack into Celta Vigo, I think he's done enough with the national team relative to what other people have done with that chance with their chances that he's in the squad, uh, in, in some role or other. Yeah. I, there's a, like a small voice of doubt in the back of my head that maybe he's not a lock, but y- yeah, I think I, I think I agree. So there's two, you think there's one or two slots up for grabs there? Pro- probably just one, right? I mean, uh, especially with the way Berhalter has been treating that center midfield spot where he hasn't been terribly excited about auditioning anyone else for it. Right. Uh, I think we got to say that, you know, he, he considers Acosta a solution there. Um, he considers again, Aronson and most likely Reyna as guys who could deputize there. If we have to change, change up a little bit. Um, I know Eric Williamson, um, was in the picture, uh, for the summer, uh, friendlies and nations league, but, uh, didn't end up called up so you wonder if he might have the outside chance at that last spot uh after that i don't know i just don't think i don't see berhalter rating anyone else and i don't see anyone else doing something that's gonna force him to do it and that includes 
That includes Pomacall. That includes even Buzio, who's gotten his runouts for the national team. Uh, he would need to really take over the double Bundesliga to, to stand a chance, I think. Wait, the Serie B, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My apologies. So what about Malik, Malik Tillman? Is he uh, still in the picture? I thought he did get a chance for the national team. I, th- I thought he was okay. I yeah I I don't know that it really ma- like you said I don't know if it really matters especially given the likelihood that Reyna and Aronson are going to play in the midfield. No, that, Tillman's a good shout though, just as a, as a guy who could sneak in as a uh, a flex player as a kind of a wild card high ceiling type um, because that is that is where we might look for for higher ceiling. I think I still think it's tough because you know he's he'd be behind some of the other high ceiling guys we have in Reyna and uh, Aronson in in sort of that kind of center midfielder, kind of attacking winger, 10, number 10 role. Um, but if he's, if he's doing it for Rangers, and he looked, he looked crisp uh, in, his, in his Rangers cameo, and I don't know how he's doing today, um, but that he could sneak into the midfield loophole kind of as a, as a flex player. Uh, Rangers are losing 1-0 in the 65th minute, and James Sands has a yellow card. That's all I know. <laughs> all right. What about, uh, what about Richie Ledesma? What about Richie? Uh, if we're looking for a high ceiling player in the midfield and he manages to do well for the next month and a half, that, which is the big, if just want to say that <laughs> for uh, Ledesma. Uh, yeah. 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 It's a big, if he'd probably, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like he's featuring too much for PSV at the moment. Um, I know there's talk of maybe, uh, shipping him out on loan. Uh, and, and it's just going to be tough, right? For, him to basically impossible establish like yeah, yeah the bona fides it, it, because again he, he's an in-betweener so he doesn't have a great spot uh on the roster um and the spot that he's probably best at is our deepest most talented spot if he's going to be one of those players that's nominally out wide like that's he's he's got to really be doing things for psv not just like the occasional uh 10 minute cameo like he's got to be yeah he's got to start being the guy for psv and i don't think he's the guy for psv yeah, just to be clear, I, 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 I mentioned that mostly just to stay in, on brand, you know. Um, <laughs> stay true to our roots. <laughs> one slot, maybe two there, but... Maybe zero. Maybe, maybe zero, and maybe zero. it doesn't matter that much. Let's go to the half-space merchants, the winners. Uh, we're up to 11 locks, and I think we've got four right here. And that's uh, Pulisic, Reina, Wea, and Aronson, kind of the big four. Um, and then this is where it kind of gets really interesting and really discoursey. And that's, uh, that's the three sort of probable guys uh, where it's Morris, Ariola, and Roldan. It feels like they're all going to go on the, be on the plane. I, I honestly just do not know. It, I think it's, 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 it's totally possible that all three could go. They, aren't, they, they aren't, certainly aren't all needed, right? <laughs> like if you're just trying to game out where they would all play, this is our strongest spot, so it seems strange that we bring the most backup players to the to the spot that we have the most talent and depth in. Right. I guess the argument would be with actually with both Morris and Ariola that they are, um, you know, they they can stretch the lines in a way that you know Pulisic, Reina, and Aronson don't really do. Wea definitely stretches the lines, but Morris and Ariola do 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 that. Um, Morris is you know, you could argue has a little more pop in him when it comes to goal dangerousness than, than Aronson. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. 
is like a different, you could give a different look if you brought Morris on. I rolled on, I don't understand, but you know, we, we all know he's there for eyes and vibes. And <laughs> that's been the message for a long time. So, so this, this kind of goes back to the, the floor versus ceiling. And in the attacking sense, in the attacking like uh, sense, getting a high ceiling guy is worth it for me, or is at least defensible to add a high ceiling guy to the, to the roster. Um, so like if you're chasing a goal and you just don't think Ariola has the chops to do it, that's where you would take a chance on sort of those. If, if they're, if they're, you know, having good club seasons, some of those sort of more fringy types, like a, like a Conrad De La Fuente, uh, or, a Georgie Mihailovic or like a Nico Giacchini, if he's doing well, or Malik Tillman, if he's really doing it for Rangers. Um, but they would need to show something, a lot of things, uh, this fall to even qualify as like high ceiling guys. Like, what what we know about them now wouldn't be enough to justify any of them is like oh but they could do this it'd be it'd be like too much of a flyer i think like right now if you were going to just chase a goal you'd be like oh well just i think the and you don't have tim way out to do it or brendan aronson uh you'd be like okay well i guess jordan morris is going to be the the goal chaser and while it's not uh maybe everyone's favorite thing to do like it's it's sort of a the defensible choice right mhm yeah but you're 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 not sure Ariola is a, is as defensible of a choice as a goal chaser. Probably not. I I know he he came in and was dangerous in that Canada game. Uh, but I feel like for Burhalter, the guy's going to be Morris first and foremost. The thing is, Ariola might be more defensible. Is like if you are in a pinch injury wise and need uh, a winger to start, mm-hmm. he might prefer to start Ariola over Morris, and Morris might be more situational. Yeah. Um, again, getting into Roldan, that's where like Roldan feels totally superfluous. Yeah. But I mean, I honestly think like he's, he's, there's sort of a player coach thing going on. Like he's there for squad cohesion and um, probably won't play at the World Cup, but I'd be surprised if he's not there. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I just feel like at that point, for if you want Roldan there as that guy, okay, fine. But then it seems double superfluous. To have Morris and Ariola as like extra backups, unless one of them is also that guy, and I don't think you need two of those guys—the rolled on, the rolled on vibes guy. I, I can, I can see defending one guy uh, who you don't plan on using, but being like, well, he's just, he's just good for the group. Like I can kind of see that with a twenty-six man roster. Yeah. Well, it, I guess where's the where's the sense of urgency? Where who's being left off this roster that is? Um that needs to be there whose whose spot is being taken by a Roldan or an Ariola. Right. You're you're just choosing to be a little bit thin uh depth wise, injury wise, right, in other positions to bring seven nominal wingers. Uh <laughs> but you can <laughs> you can get around that, I guess, by like saying, yeah, but a couple of these wingers would be our uh, you know, our emergency center mids. Um, and, and again, I think that's actually defensible. Like whoever the 26th man is for this team, for our player pool, they're not going to play. Like yeah. they just won't. Uh, if, if they would play, they, they'd be the 25th man. Like the, whoever the, the 20, we won't get to the 26th guy. Um, and, and that's why I think that right now that's Christian Roldan. And that's not even me like trying to hate on Christian Roldan. Like that's U.S. men's national team head coach Greg Ber- Berhalter talking because Roldan doesn't play, right? Like even with 23 man rosters, Berhalter doesn't use Christian Roldan. Right. Uh, he got he got five minutes of sort of charity time at the end of a three zero game against Honduras. So, you know, in any actual soccer situation, 
Berhalter is going to use Morris or he's going to use Ariola before he uses Roldan. So Roldan just will not play whether he's there or not. Right. And you could, I, you could definitely foresee a situation in which like Morris and Ariola don't play either. Even when it's just a 23 man world cup roster, you know, some guys don't play. It's hard for me to get worked up about it. Not saying you are worked up about it. You don't seem very worked up, but, um, I just don't, you know, don't really care unless, unless, you know, one of these, one of these youngsters has like an incredible opening two months of the season. And I'm, I'm thinking of, I am thinking of Ledesma. I know everybody thinks I'm a a madman, but like Ledesma or like if he goes on loan and starts playing well, um, or, you know, one of these young left backs, like, like Scally really locks it down. And if it becomes like a Scally versus one of these three guys, that we were just talking about, then I might start to get a little frustrated about it, but um, I think it's okay. And that's what, have, that's what it would have to be, right? It would have to be like somebody has played their way, played well enough to at least give us more depth in a spot that we're thin right now, or we consider ourselves thin, like left back, or even as like that James Sands type uh, center, center back utility player who could really uh, be... be uh, an emergency injury option. Yeah. And we sort of forego that to add a seventh uh, attacking winger who uh, we just, we just like them because they're good locker room guys. Like that's the only way it kind of gets into for me, like uh, that's, that's a, that's an unnecessary roster liability. Let me take that. Let me take that back. Yeah. I, I, I do agree with that. And I feel like Eric Williamson, Eric Williamson is a player that could, I, I haven't watched a lot of him lately, but just my general sense of him is he's a player who could help us in a World Cup game, um, especially if we're, if we're you know, dealing with some injuries, like some, some calamitous situation on injuries. And I mean, I 100% would rather see Williamson in the midfield than rolled on, you know? So I take that back. I, I, would, I might be a little frustrated about that. Well, and we already talked about the strikers, so that's the, that's the roster. How many locks do we have now? So we're at 16 locks, and we've got... Uh... Most a lot of the a lot of the remaining eight spots, ten spots like uh, spoken for also because um, we got but because we got as probables Yedlin, Long, Pepe, Roldan, Ariel, and Morris. Those are the problems. Yeah, I'm 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 still quibbling that all three of those guys are probable in the sense that uh, I, I I still think out of those three, probably only two get in. Uh, because I do think one of these other guys is going to, I mean, out of the other pool of players who are going to be more useful for actual roster construction, uh, I think one of the other ones sort of makes themselves uh, valuable enough that we bring them and and leave one of the superfluous wingers off. Okay. Well, even if we that's do that, prediction. even if we do that, that's 21 players on the roster leaving five spots. One of those goes to the third goalkeeper. That leaves four spots uh, for a striker, maybe a midfielder. Third striker, fifth center back. Uh, yeah, we got we got some we got some play with the fullbacks. Yeah, I mean, one fullback we didn't mention uh, just just for the sake of comprehensiveness, we should mention John Tolkien. I think you, you've you've said uh, he's looked pretty good, maybe better yeah, than looked- some of the other young left backs. Yeah, I mean, he's he's looked competent enough that he'd be in the discussion with any of them, and Berhalter specifically put him in the discussion uh, in the last window when he said 
uh, when he mentioned him by name ahead of like a Dewan Jones uh, or any of the other um, domestic options. I mean, he, he said it just compared to all left backs. He said Tolkien was close. So uh, that, that felt like another missed opportunity uh, that we only brought two fullbacks into the June camp. And one of them being Bello, who we already had a lot of information on, probably enough to to say we we should test out a third one here. Yeah. I wonder what happened to Dewan Jones too. Like, why was he never? I guess he was in January camp, just didn't do enough to impress there. All right. Well, we're I you know I assume we'll be doing several more episodes like this. Well, several more would be overkill, but maybe one or two more before the actual roster drops. Um. And uh, anything else, Greg? Well, in, in all of the future ones, we won't have to rehash the locks because they're locks, and we'll just get into who's, who's played themselves up, who's played themselves down. Okay. All right. Hey, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you.